The Once and Future Nerd Book One, Princes of Jordan Chapter One, The Prince of Jordan Episode Three Brennan dreamt of an infinite forest. Well, not really. We sprites can comprehend the infinite, but the minds of mortals are by nature limited and must be approximate. So, really, Brennan dreamt of a very, very, very big forest. Out of nowhere, a young girl materialized in front of him. She looked the very picture of innocence. Or at least she would have were it not for the gaping puncture wound in her chest. There are seven things you must know to save me. The first thing is, my killer has died as well, but has not yet joined me. The general looked on silently, because any mortal who claims to know how he'd respond to that is a liar. You should run, Brennan. He did decide to look behind him, and that's when he saw it. I'd describe what he saw, but what it looked like to him isn't important. Imagine you're in your bedchambers late at night, and you put out the last light. A sliver of moonlight creeps through the window and spills onto your bed. Make a list in your mind of the five things you'd least want the moonlight to reveal. Then imagine you saw all of those things at once. That was what this moment in the dream felt like to Brennan. Brennan, though, was ever the warrior. His first reaction, when faced with indescribable horror, was to try to murder it with an axe. He unslung the twybin that had been the woe of so many of the House Guernacal's enemies, and swung with all his might at the terrible thing. Unfortunately, this was a nightmare, and he could not get any speed on the thing despite his considerable strength. The thing easily dodged the blow, and then took the form of a huge bear, less effective than its previous form at making a man question that he'd ever known anything good, but quite handy at knocking a battle axe out of a man's hand with a swipe of its paw, and then biting out the throat of a young girl. Brennan ran for his axe, hoping against hope to save the girl, or at least make the beast pay. But he was distracted by a bird. No common bird, but a spectacularly beautiful bird, with feathers of red and gold. Soon it was joined by two other birds, one of all red and one of all gold. This caught the attention of the beast, and also of the blood-soaked but still alive young girl. As the three of them stood there, mesmerized, four grey birds joined the flock, one of which wore a crown. That was when Brennan heard the disembodied voice, General, and saw the intense light from some unknown source. General. Brennan jolted awake in his sparse quarters to see one of his officers standing over him with a torch. Sorry to wake you, sir. What's happened? The elf found some suspicious travellers in the eastern woods. His Majesty has called an emergency meeting of his court. Thank you, Lieutenant. 
The travellers, our travellers, were at that moment in a cell of a dungeon several stories below Castle Guernatal. Billy and Jen sat together on a stone bench that could never be mistaken for comfortable, while Nelson was curled up asleep on a different bench. How late do you figure it is by now? Late? If I'm lucky, my old man will be too plastered to notice I'm not home yet. Billy, I'm scared. Don't get all worked up, honey. Somebody's always doing this reenactment shit. People get carried away sometimes. They'll let us out soon, and if they don't, I'll start kicking some asses. But what about that snake? A piercing clamor badly startled Billy and Jen and jolted Nelson awake. The castle jailer was banging his short sword against the bars of their cell. Up, vermin, don't keep the king waiting. They were led up several flights of stairs and out into a small, walled-off courtyard, in between the dungeon and the castle proper. The courtyard was dominated by a large hedge maze, a man tall and then some. The pikes of patrolling soldiers were just barely visible over the tops of the hedges. Wait here until someone comes for you. The jailer headed back towards the dungeon and out of earshot. I can get us out of here. What? No, you can't. I've beaten every single Legend of Zelda game. But those are games. You can see their pikes over the top of the hedges. We can use them to map their patrol routes. Nelson watched the motion of the pikes intently for several seconds. Look, nerd. Shh. On my signal, run into the maze and turn right. Now let's just think of... Now! Nelson darted into the maze. Jen and Billy, realizing their dearth of better choices, ran after him. It must be admitted, it was wise of Nelson to notice the pikes and skillful of him to have discerned the patterns of the patrols so quickly. It must also be admitted that it was quite foolish of him to fail to notice the guard tower that overlooked the courtyard, since this was, after all, a castle. Two bowmen in the tower each knocked an arrow and aimed. The three young humans stopped in their tracks as every guard in the hedge maze converged on them. The jailer stormed back out from the dungeon, fuming. What in Selberin are you thinking? I didn't expect there to be guard towers. You didn't expect... There are visible gaps in our patrol routes. Yes, I noticed those. Some castle we'd be if we didn't account for those. Might as well build the walls from cow shit. You lot are lucky I've orders to keep you alive, or I'd wring your necks right here. Come on, then. As the three travellers were being led to the throne room, High King Gunther Guernatal was addressing his court. His court, which looked precisely like it had just been dragged out of its respective beds, comprised humans of all skin colours from all walks of life. And Yelurine. And from all walks of life, you can, of course, imply, provided they were wealthy. Humans in Jordan at the time placed tremendous value on how much gold one's father happened to possess at the time of one's birth. In fact, the only member of Gunther's court whose father was not tremendously wealthy was conspicuously absent at the moment. I hope by now you see the measures I've taken have been necessary. 
In chaotic times such as these, vigilance is the last weapon of order. Brennan strode in hurriedly, despite the weight of all his armour. Had any other base-born man interrupted a meeting of His Majesty's court, the uproar would have been deafening. But the King's regard for this man, along with his many military triumphs and decorations, stayed their contempt. Not to mention the gigantic battle-axe and dozen or so throwing axes he wore. Brennan took his seat at the right hand of the King. Sincere apologies, Your Grace. Sorry we had to wake you, friend. Old soldiers, I used to not sleep in the night. As I was saying, our young Kaltir has taken my message of vigilance to heart and brought us three possible spies that he encountered in the eastern woods. I've called this meeting so that we may try to discern their motives. Guards, send them in. The doors of the main hall opened, and our three young travelers were marched in a few inches in front of the jailer's sword. There were many murmurs regarding their garb, which seemed entirely bizarre to Gunther's court. Their attire also caught Brennan's attention, but for a different reason. As you may have noticed, they were clad in the same colors as the birds in Brennan's dream. Yellowine stood to give a report. Thank you for the floor, Your Grace. As you can see, their attire is completely unfamiliar, and you can take my word that their manners are equally alien. Furthermore, if you'll look at the puny one, you'll see he wears a token of Garadian around his neck. He was, of course, referring to the token that Nelson called a D20, which was considered relatively inoffensive back where Nelson came from, but mortified gasps broke out throughout the court nonetheless. I swear to God, nerd. Silence! Your Grace, I would have brought them to the court's attention sooner, but I had been out hunting and did not hear of Her Late Majesty's tragic demise until I returned. I understand, Kaltir. Where are the three of you from? M-E-P-A! I've never heard of such a place, and I am High King. Who claimed those lands? Um, the governor of Pennsylvania? His name is Tom Corbett, I think. Billy looked at Jen, just the slightest bit taken aback. Very much taken aback by the proceedings was Ardell of House Redmore, a somewhat petulant lord of 24 years and no small influence in Guernathal's court. Until this moment, he held his tongue but his more mild-mannered twin, the maid Arlene, who sat with him, had noticed the signs of his anger growing ever more dire. At the mention of fantastical-sounding lands and governors, he could no longer remain mute. This all sounds made up. What manner of game do they think they're playing at? Well, the setting is very similar to the Elder Scrolls series, but the introduction seems a bit lengthy, even for a Bethesda game. I assure you I do not have time for game. You don't have time for games. I'm glad you guys are having so much fun with your little renaissance fair, but we need to get home. You will go nowhere if you don't tell me what you are doing on my land. I believe in justice, but do not try my patience. You can't just keep us here. Guards! Three soldiers emerged from the crowd, swiftly pushed our travelers to their knees, and put swords to their necks. 
Billy and Nelson finally joined Jen in the realization that this was a very appropriate time to be frightened. Now, what were you doing on my land? Listen, your maj... your grace. We honestly don't know how we got here. We were in trouble at school, and then there was a storm, and then something with my ass, and then there were trees... Were they wearing those clothes when you found them, Caldea? Indeed they were, General. Where did you get your clothes, children? Central High Varsity Athletics. My grandma, speak your mind. It's probably nothing, Your Grace, but I may have had a dream about these three. This caught the attention of the clergy who were present at the court. The Bishop of Guernatal's dominion spoke up. What sort of dream? Was in danger, was rescued by birds, of the same colors that these three wear. The clergy talked quietly but excitedly amongst themselves. I would know what you are saying. The bishop stood, which required great effort. This was because he had lived for just about as long as any man had a right to live, and then kept on living for another few decades. He wore elegant purple robes, and on a silver chain around his neck was a golden disc. On it were some inscriptions, but more on those later. General, had you seen these strangers at any point? Before these things were dreamt? Had not, your eminence. And have you ever heard of the scrolls of Baradir? That sounds like my type of shit right there. Time is of the essence, Bishop. They are writings, your majesty. Their veracity has been refuted by the elders, but they have not been declared outwardly heretical. As such, they have become the domain of scholars such as myself, who study them as anthropology rather than theology. Had the bishop's eyes not been far too old to function properly, he may have noticed the epidemic of yawning that had broken out in the throne room. The writer speaks of a time of Garedian's reign, a time of war and fear and darkness and pestilence and... At this point, Billy had managed to doze off while still on his knees with a sword at his throat. This embarrassed Jen to no end. Forgive me, my lords. I forgot what I was saying. The younger priest could take no more. An anointed one will save us from the dark times. The prophet of the anointed one's coming will be a great warrior, and the sigil of the anointed one will be a bird. There was excited chatter throughout the hall. Fortunately, it covered up Billy's snoring long enough for Jen to nudge him awake with her elbow. Lord Redmore, however, was having none of it. You can't expect us to give weight to this prophecy, Bishop. You said yourself that the elders refuted it. Indeed! Very few still put any faith in the scrolls of Baradir, and I am not among them. Yet, you must admit, the details are uncanny. What would you have us do, Bishop? It may be prudent 
after our host is assembled, of course, for me to take these three and a small guard to see the elders. Come now, your grace. War is at our doorstep. We should put them to death in the town square. What? We shall make an example of them to discourage any who so dissent. Arlene Redmore could no longer ignore the look of innocent terror on young Jen's face. With respect, Your Grace, what harm can they possibly do from within the dungeon? Ardell turned to look at his sister with fury in his eyes. The harm are seeming too weak to act. Lord Redmore speaks wisely. We cannot afford to seem weak. If I may, Your Grace, May Redmore may have a point. Your Grace, do the commons know I've captured these things? Why don't you capture my... Not yet, Calcare. Then if they are villains, House Guernatal will be praised for killing them in a few days, just the same as if they were killed tomorrow. If they are no one, you can do with them as you will with no consequence. But if the elders do deem them important, Bishop, what would it mean for the kingdom if one of them were the so-called Anointed One? His Majesty's victory in any future conflicts would be all but assured. Best not to discard such a potentially powerful weapon in our haste to seem powerful, Your Grace. The King took a few long moments to ponder as the travellers took the same moments to realise that perhaps their deaths were not imminent. Sound reasoning, I must admit. Wouldn't you agree, Lord Redmond? Relief passed over the faces of Billy, Jen and Nelson, but Ardell had not taken his eyes off his sister for an instant. Yes, Your Grace. Then it is settled. Guards, let them up. The soldiers sheathed their swords and pulled the three young humans to their feet. These prisoners will remain here until it is deemed safe to unseal the inner hold, at which point they will be taken to the elders to determine their import. Suddenly, one of the king's soldiers burst into the hall at a full sprint. <laughs> Pardon, lords! Catch your breath, boy. Crosses the black mountains, fifty thousand strong. And the knights of the wood watched them cross. Where before there were excited murmurs, there was now all out panic. Billy, Jen, and Nelson did not know what they should be panicking about, but it was clear that some very bad news had just been given. In fact, Brennan and his king were the only ones in the room who kept their composure. Your haste in returning has saved countless lives, and the kingdom thanks you. The rest of you, I will unseal the hold so that you may make whatever arrangements you wish. We have at least two dawns before Traft arrives. For those of you who seek the protection of this keep, it will be open to you. But we will seal the gates again at dusk tomorrow. We shall do our utmost to keep you safe. The court leapt from their seats and scurried off in myriad directions. General, I would have words. Kaltir, wait outside with the prisoners. Your Grace. Yiluin motioned for our travellers to follow him, and, 
Not having the slightest idea what else to do, they obliged. There is a traitor among us. There is no other way news that the Queen's death could have gotten out. I'm afraid you're right, old friend. I need you to track down the traitor. I will send our best men. You will send yourself. If we've been betrayed, you're the only one I can trust. I would not leave your side in these dark times. It gives me no joy, but that's an order, General. Yes, Your Grace. Take Yellowine with you as well. An order as well, Your Grace? A pompous little shit, I know, even for an elf. But his skills as a tracker will be very useful to you. You might as well come back in now, Kaltir. Yilloween re-entered with his charges in tow. Your Grace, I'm really sorry all this stuff is coming down on you, but I swear on my mother, we had nothing to do with it and we just want to go home and see our families. I'm afraid we can't let you leave, at least for a while. All due respect here, your kingship, sir, and thanks for not having us killed, but we do not want to get wrapped up in this. You are wrapped up in it. War is coming, boy. Funny thing about war doesn't give half a starving man's shit what a young men want from their lives. For your own protection, you will accompany General Brennan on his journey. Now, have the three of you any supplies that might be of use? The tall one was carrying armor of some sort when I found it. Good. Take them and retrieve their effects from the dungeon. The five of you will leave as soon as you are able. Yes, Your Grace. They turn to exit. I think we got our first quest. Shut it, Nelson. Nelson, I don't think they're fooling around. Indeed. We'll likely be in danger every step of the way, and the more you talk, the more dangerous it becomes. Welcome to my life in Pennsylvania. Brennan was about to leave as well when Gunther grabbed his arm. They waited until everyone else was out of earshot, human and elvish earshot. Your Grace, I cannot help but think they would be safer in your keep than on the road with me. Galadin, help us, Brennan. If Traft is coming and the Knights of the Woods sit idly by, Felgil will follow soon enough. And when he does, these walls will not hold forever. You know that as well as I. If one of them can save us, I would not lose them to my own frailty. Keep them safe. And when you have completed your two other missions, see them to the elders. Two missions, Your Grace? Do you remember what I told you after Prince Uther was killed? Has it come to that, Your Grace? Would I mention it aloud if we had another choice? The king removed a sealed scroll from his pocket and handed it to Brennan. This scroll has a name on it, but cannot be read except by a mage practiced in the arts of deception. Take it to the college at Armstrongard and seek out the great wizard Barlokir. This should go without saying, but divulge the importance of the name to no one. Which first? The traitor? Or... Do you remember thirty years ago? The last words of my coronation speech. You said we would strive for a day when honor and justice would come before politics. Today is not that day. Brennan nodded. He put the scroll in his pocket. An odd thing I've observed about mortals with the capacity for speech. If there's one thing you can count on them to lie about, 
It is things that frighten them. Though these two men did not say anything plainly untrue, they spoke as though they planned to see each other again. Go with Galadon, Brennan. Till we meet again, Gunther. They embraced, briefly but warmly, and then Brennan was gone. For additional information and bonus content, access onceandfuturenerd.com on your computer machine. The Once and Future Nerd is written and created by Zach Glass and Christian Madeira. It is performed by Garrett Armin, Hayes Dunlop, Anya Gibeon, Ian Harkins, Emily Kukuk, Frank Queris, Julie Reed, Harry Strong, and Dylan Uremovich. It is co-executive produced by Jess Kelly and directed and edited by Christian Madeira. Production sound engineering is done by Gary O'Keefe, with dialogue editing and foley by Tommy Stang, and post-production mixing and sound design by Sandra Ramirez. Theme music is composed by Tom Lee. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>